Good morning, Great Oaks. It is good to be here with you today. Thank you, Chase. And uh, I have to say, Great Oaks is a different church than I've ever been at. The front rows are full. That is unbelievable. I, I don't know if that's normal or that's just because it's special today, but uh, it is awesome that your front rows are full. So thank you. We have had an, uh, it's been an honor and we have had a great time here getting to meet so many of you this week. Uh, I see a few familiar faces as I look around this morning and that is super great. If we haven't had the chance to meet you, again, my name is Jason. I've been married to my wife, Corey, for 21 years. I won't make her stand up. She would probably divorce me after service if that happened. Uh, and so 21 years, it was really wise of me. I got married in the year 2000. I always know how many years it's been. We also have two kids, Ethan and Josiah. Ethan is our 10-year-old. Josiah is 13. And I think there's probably some family pictures of things we love to do in the screen behind me. Uh, those two boys are incredibly passionate, incredibly different kids, and we love raising them. Uh, a couple things we like to do as a family. We love biking. Uh, we love playing board games. So probably one of our favorites is the Quacks of Quedlinburg. It's a great game. You've probably never heard of it. If you want to know more, come talk to me afterwards. Uh, we also love going to professional sporting events, camping, being outdoors. And so that's a little bit about us. But you didn't come here today to hear some strange pastor with no hair uh, talk to you about his family on and on and on. You came to be challenged by the truth of God's word. And so that's what I want to do. And I want to take this time to remind us and to dig into Scripture together and uh, study that and see how God's Word can transform our hearts and our minds. So before we do that, if you're not nervous, I am. So let's pray and see if that calms everybody down a little bit. Let's pray. I want to give you a few minutes. I don't know what you're bringing into the room today. I just want to give you a few minutes to talk to God yourself. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe this is your first Sunday here and you don't even know what it means to pray. It's just simply having a conversation with God. You can tell him what's going on in your life. So let's do just that for a few, few seconds here this morning. Maybe you've got something you need to confess. God, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are bigger than we are. God, that you know the plans you have for Great Oaks. God, you know the plans you have for me. And God, we want what's best for all of that. But God, more than anything this morning, as individuals coming here, we need to hear the truth of your word. We need to feel your Holy Spirit move in our lives. God, take your words, transform our hearts, transform the way we think so that we can go out and love those in our community well. God, for those who are here for the first time this morning, who are here to check you out, I pray, God, that they hear about a God who loves them unconditionally. God, I pray lives are changed this morning. Not because of me, but because you are true and faithful to who you say you will be. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Now, I know you guys just finished up a series on the parables, and I debated, should I add another parable to the series? But then I watched Pastor Kevin and his sheep, and I thought, I can't compete with that. And then Chase brought the heat last week, and I thought, you know, that is the perfect tie-up to that series. We should just let that go. So today, I want to share with you a message that is my heart, not as a pastor, but my heart as a follower of Jesus, just like you, somebody who's doing my best to follow Jesus and do what he's asked us to do. It's my heart for ministry, and I pray that one day I get to lead a church that embodies the truth of what we're going to hear and see this morning. These past 18 months, they've been difficult. They've been tough. We've faced a global pandemic. We have faced racial tensions like we haven't seen since the 60s. We had an attack on our capital. Now we have Delta virus. We have Afghanistan. We have fires raging in California, in Minnesota, in Canada. Natural disasters, earthquakes, and tropical storms leveling Haiti. And I'm sure if we took the time and passed a microphone around the room, each of you have stories of things you've missed or things you've lost in the last 18 months. Things that have broken your heart. Things that have challenged your faith. But a lot of this stuff has been turned into a political argument. And that is not where I want to go this morning. I want to force us to look a little bit deeper because the truth is, each one of these issues has affected the lives of everyday, ordinary people, just like you and me. Every one of these things has impacted somebody's life. Kids, right? You guys are starting school again. We thought it was going to be normal, and it's not. And it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's where we are. I think all of this begs the question, as followers of Jesus, how are we supposed to respond? How are we called to love our neighbor in the midst of all of this? In the midst of things that feel like they're tearing us apart. So if you have your Bible with, me, with you or your phone, go ahead and open that up. Uh, you can look at John chapter 1, verse 14. If you're in a paper Bible, John is the fourth gospel. It is The gospels are the stories of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You get to Acts. You went too far. Flip back. That's the way you find that in there. And John's gospel starts out with a different tone or a different message than all the other gospels. There's no birth account, there's no shepherds, there's no songs of Mary, there's no angels, there's no manger. There's a statement about the Word and how the Word existed at the beginning and the Word was God and the Word is God. And the truth is we could preach sermons on each one of those statements. But in a quick summary... The word equals Jesus, Jesus has always existed, Jesus helped create the world, and Jesus is fully God. Okay, great. That's how John starts out, making that real clear to us. But maybe one of the most profound things John says is in John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. 
and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Did you catch that first sentence? So the word became human and made his home among us. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, writes it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came down to live an ordinary human life like you and me. I would argue this might be one of the most profound things we can say about the God we worship. It sets our God apart from all the other gods. We worship a God who shows up, who moved into our neighborhood. This is not on the radar of every other religion. However, throughout the Gospel of John, our God is a God who shows up. And if you've missed something so far, or you just kind of want to tune out the rest of the message, don't miss this point. This is the main thing I want you to take home with you today. Jesus shows up in people's lives, and he calls us to do the same. Jesus shows up in people's lives, and he calls us to do the same. You see these stories of encounter and Jesus showing up in unexpected places to unexpecting people all throughout the Gospel of John. And that's what we're going to do today. Chase asked me earlier, what are you going to preach on? I said, the whole Gospel of John. 35 minutes. Buckle up. We're about to fly. So the theme of John shows up on every page. In John chapter 3, he shows up to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious teacher of the law. He's got questions. He can't figure out who this Jesus is. So he comes at night, so no one will know, to get answers to his doubts and his questions. In John chapter 5, he shows up on the Sabbath, the holy day, when you can't do anything, you're not allowed to heal anybody, to a crippled man laying beside a pool, a guy who hasn't walked for 38 years. And Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and go home. Instantly, the man stands. His legs aren't weak, they're strong. He rolls up his mat, and he walks out. Maybe my favorite place Jesus shows up, he shows up to a hungry crowd of 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. And really, there's not 5,000 people there. There are 5,000 men there. So if you take women and children, there might be 10 to 15,000 people there. He has two fish, five loaves. The disciples are like, hey, everybody's hungry. He's like, okay, tell them to all sit down. We'll feed them. We'll pray over these two fish, five loaves. How did this happen? Like, did Jesus break the fish? And the head grows back, and he just keeps breaking it? Did he break the bread, and it just keeps... I want to see that miracle. Of all the ones, I want to see that one. And what were the disciples thinking? He had two fish, five loaves. I have a basket full of food. So doesn't that guy. And they just kept taking it out. And they just kept taking it out. What did that multiplication process look like? And he doesn't just provide enough. He provides 12 baskets of leftovers. That's a key theme we'll come back to in just a minute. What'd that look like? John 8 shows up to a woman caught in adultery. And instead of judgment, he offers grace and forgiveness. John 9, to a blind man who everybody says is blind because he's full of sin, shows up and gives sight and a new future. John 13, 
in a room full of sweaty, stinky guys with really nasty, dirty feet from walking all day. He shows up as a servant, kneels down in front of them, and washes their feet. And maybe the most profound place Jesus shows up in all of John, John chapter 19. Jesus shows up on a cross, humiliated, beaten, to show us how much he loves us. Shows how much he wants a relationship with us. Shows up on a cross. God on a cross. What do we do with that? There are four other places Jesus shows up, and that's what we're going to dig into today. I told you, it's going to be a big one. First place Jesus shows up, he shows up in John chapter 2 at a wedding feast. Or a wedding party. Can you... Every place we see Jesus show up, normally it's in the midst of somebody's brokenness, in the midst of somebody's pain, in the midst of something that's going on. But the first place John tells us Jesus shows up is at a party. Jesus doesn't just show up in the hard times. Jesus is there in the good times too. But if we know anything about life and we're honest, sometimes even in the good times, there's hard stuff we got to deal with. Right, And so he shows up at this party, but the wedding host is about to be embarrassed because he's about to run out of wine. And what are the party guests going to think? He's unplanned. He's unprepared. You all know that's going to be the talk of the town, right? You believe that guy didn't have enough to drink for us for the whole party? And Jesus' mother steps up. John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. I love this exchange, by the way. Dear woman, that is not my problem. If I looked at my mom and said, dear woman, probably picking myself up off the ground. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. What's Mary seen? How does she know? How does she know that Jesus can fix this problem? What's she seen at home? Like, was Jesus a teenager? His room was a mess? And she was like, hey, Jesus, go clean your room. And he was like, done. Like, the gospel doesn't tell us anything. It's left. We get this space. And in John, we don't even get to see him, like, disappear from his parents at the temple. But we don't know exactly what Mary's seen. But what we do know is Mary remembers the words of the angel. When he said, you have been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God, of the Messiah. And she knows Jesus can do something. Jesus, meanwhile, is like, Mom, stop it. It's not my time. This is not how I want to reveal myself. And again, we don't get the pieces to the story. There's no, like, Jesus thought about it for a while and decided to do something. It seems like he just changes his mind in the middle of the story. So he tells the servants, hey, go fill up those bath jars with water. We're talking about 20 to 30 gallon jars that they would use for bathing. They fill six of them. So you've got somewhere between 150 and 180 gallons of water. And Jesus turns that water into wine. Now, not cheap wine, not the bad stuff, really good quality wine. And I'm just curious enough to know, like, how much wine is that actually? It would take a thousand grapes, or I'm sorry, take... 2,000 pounds of grapes to make that much wine, a ton. It would make somewhere between 600 and 900 bottles of quality wine. 
Now, Jesus isn't here so that the party guests can, like, get blitzed, right? That's not his purpose. But what we see is the same thing we see in John chapter 6. When Jesus shows up, he brings abundance. And that's the lesson we learn. Encounters with Jesus bring abundance. Listen to his words in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't think that's just eternal life. That's life here on this earth. Jesus says, if you will follow me, I'll give you a fulfilling life. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you reason to live. I'll give you joy in hard situations. You'll have abundance. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not health and prosperity gospel. It's not like I follow Jesus and I get all the toys I want. But it is about abundance in our, the way we live. Psalm 23.5 says, My cup overflows with blessings. It overflows. Not my cup's full. Not it's half full, so I have to decide if I'm going to be an optimist or a pessimist. It is overflowing with the ways God is blessing our lives. Encounters with Jesus bring abundance. Jesus' presence in our lives is not a little thing. It should bring joy and blessing as we fall deeper and deeper in love with him. And that abundance, I think, is what draws people to him when they see that in our lives. Second place, Jesus shows up. John chapter 4, a moment at a well. Again, this is not any normal moment. John chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 say this. Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. You ever notice the disciples are always hungry? Jesus, we got 5,000 people. They're hungry, we're hungry. Could we eat? They leave them at the well to go get food because they're hungry. There's a couple things that should really stand out to us here. This woman comes to draw water at noon. The heat of the day. It's the Middle East. It's not Minnesota in January. It's the Middle East. The sun is beating down. Why is she there at noon? All the other women come in the morning before it's hot. And we can only imagine as we read the rest of the story, the looks that she might get. The side glances that she would get if she came in the morning. The whispers she would hear about their judgment and their thoughts about the way she lives her life. So she comes at noon. To avoid all that. To avoid the embarrassment. To avoid the shame. To avoid all the judgment and condemnation and the stares she'd get. Second thing we should notice. She's a Samaritan. A half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile, a mudblood for all you Harry Potter fans, right? Yeah, all right, we can get it up for Harry Potter, right? 
and a woman. Somebody who in that time didn't have a lot of respect. Wasn't allowed to talk to a a man other than her husband and especially not a teacher. Especially not someone who in power and authority. She doesn't initiate the conversation though Jesus does. And he initiates this conversation about water. Listen to it. Here is John writes it. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well, it's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Do you hear abundance again? Keep looking for that theme as we read. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. This is where the story turns. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. See, this woman is, she knows what she's doing. She knows where she's been. The community's talking about it. Jesus doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't shy away from saying, hey, this is not right. He speaks truth into her life. There's something about the way he speaks the truth into this woman's shame and embarrassment. That brings life. That brings forgiveness. That causes her to want to believe and to follow. He doesn't not say it. He doesn't avoid it. He outright says it. But the way he says it draws her in. It doesn't make her feel more judged. The way he engages in the conversation doesn't push her away. It draws her closer Jesus offers her living water. Can you imagine what that would feel like? For her to never have to come back to this well again. Never have to face the comments or the criticism or the other words. If she didn't have to come back and draw this water, that would be life to the full for the Samaritan woman at the well. To not have to face those things. It's through this encounter and this experience with Jesus that he brings what only he can bring. It's a revelation that Jesus knew her deep pain, her embarrassment, and that he still cared for her. And he did it in a way that actually causes her to go back to her city and say, listen, I met this guy at the well. He told me everything I've done. You have to come meet him too. And he wel- she welcomes an entire village back 
to who he is. We're back to Jesus to meet him and hear who he is. And they beg him to stay. You see, an encounter with Jesus forces us a choice. Will we believe or will we not? Encounters with Jesus bring a choice between belief and unbelief. For some of you, you don't know who this Jesus is. And I am so glad you are here today. And what I hope you hear is that Jesus loves you. He's not going to excuse the things in our life that miss the mark. He's not going to excuse the things in our life that separate us from him. But he's going to welcome us in with arms wide open, say, I love you, I forgive you, and now let's begin to move forward together. But when we encounter Jesus, you can believe or you can walk away. But there's no middle of the road when we come to this place of meeting Jesus. And once we've encountered, church, if you're here today and you've had an encounter with Jesus, you have a responsibility. And I like to think about it in this math equation. I'm not very good at math, so this is about the only math equation you'll ever see. But encounter plus belief equals life and a story to tell. Church, if you've had an encounter with Jesus, You've placed, your belief, you've placed your faith and your belief in him. You have a life of abundance to go live. And you have a story to tell to your neighbors, to those you work with, to those you sit in a classroom with, to those you play on the playground with. You have a story to tell about how he's changed your life. And we need to tell it in a way that draws them in that doesn't shy away from the hard things we have to say, but we say it in a way that draws them closer to Jesus and causes them or enables them to be able to believe because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Encounter plus belief equals an abundant life to live and a story to tell. Church, who are you going to tell? And if you haven't had that encounter yet today, more than anybody else in this room, I want to talk to you when the service is over. And if it's not me, there's plenty of other people around here who would love to talk to you about what it means to encounter Jesus for the first time. Encounter number three. Jesus shows up late to the death of a friend. Unexpected places, right? Late. Mary and Mar Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send word, that's Lazarus' sisters, that he's going to die. Jesus gets that word and he says this in John eleven four. 4. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, the disciples hear that, and they're like, oh, okay, great. Jesus is going to go heal Lazarus. It'll be great. Jesus is like, we're just going to wait a couple days. What about Mary and Martha? Their brother is dying in front of them and actually dies before Jesus gets there. And Jesus just decides to wait two days. How many of you have ever prayed for something? 
and you felt like that prayer bounced off the ceiling of the room. It got about six or eight feet above your head and just came right back down to you. Maybe you prayed for something and God didn't answer. Wait, wait, wait. I don't know about you, I hate waiting. I walk into a restaurant, the line's six people deep, I'll find someplace else to eat. I hate waiting. That's why I don't like fishing. Fishing's just another word for waiting. <laughs> Mary and Martha are like, what's he doing? And when we have to wait, like, God, where are you? God, have you forsaken me? God, what are you doing? Why won't you answer? In the midst of those few voices, in the midst of those few verses we read, Jesus said, this happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man will receive glory. John eleven fourteen, 14. Jesus told the disciples plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. God has a plan. God had a plan in the midst of Mary and Martha's pain. Now I want to be very clear here. When we have a friend or a family member who's going through pain, maybe the worst thing we can say is, God has a plan. It'll be okay. God has a plan. You don't want to hear that. I'm a cancer survivor. People told me in the middle of treatment, it'll be okay. God has a plan. Yeah, well, I don't like God's plan right now. I had a professor in seminary who told a really impactful story that's changed my life. He had childhood cancer. At age 16, he lost his second leg. He's been in a wheelchair ever since. He asked a question one day. He said, so how many of my friends do you think came and saw me for the year I was in the hospital? This one student raised her hand and she said, all of them. And I'll never forget his look. It was like this, oh, what are you thinking? And he literally looked at her and said, oh, you poor naive girl. And I thought to myself, not one of them came. He's like, nobody came. People told me, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. <laughs> I'm in a wheelchair. I can't get out the window. But one friend finally came. So that friend came, and he walked in with a bag of Cheetos. And all he said was, I'm sorry, let's eat Cheetos. When we have friends in the middle of pain, maybe the best thing we can do is say, I'm sorry, let's eat Cheetos. And we sit quiet. And we bring food because food's comfort, right? But we sit quietly with them in their pain. We don't have the answers. But we need to know as we get ready to walk into that pain that God is doing something. God was doing something in the life of Mary and Martha. God was going to do something miraculous in the life of Lazarus. And that's exactly what he did. In maybe the worst situation ever, I feel bad for Lazarus more than maybe anybody in the Bible. He's sitting in heaven enjoying this place of perfect peace and all of a sudden he says, hey Lazarus, I, I am not going back down there. I'm not. 
Lazarus, come forth. Sure enough, here comes Lazarus walking out of the grave. Because Jesus has the power to bring us from death to life. Encounters with Jesus move us from death to life, dead spiritually, dead in our sin, trapped in our bondage like we sang in that last song. But when we meet him, we move from that place of death to a place of true life. And as we sit with our friends who are grieving, who are hurting, who are going through hard times, we get a chance to see God work and to watch God move them from the places of pain to places of life. It won't always work out this way. Sometimes that life is eternal life. Sometimes he calls them home. But it's still from death to life. Last place Jesus shows up. John chapter 20. An empty tomb. Now if you know this story, Mary, say Mary, we just talked about with Lazarus, has been to the tomb early in the morning. She's come back. She got Peter and John, and they race to the tomb to see Jesus. Maybe one of the funniest verses in John, John wanted to make sure it was recorded for all of time that he outrun Peter. So he makes sure everybody knows that John got there first. But John stops at the tomb. Peter rushes in. They see no body. They see the, bed, the burial cloth laying there. There's no body. Again, we don't really know a lot of the details as to why, but they just leave. Mary stays brokenhearted. John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angel asked her. Seems like an odd question when you're sitting in a tomb. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew means teacher. John 10, Jesus says, my sheep will know my voice. Jesus responds, Mary. He knows her name. He calls her by name and she instantly knows his voice. Mary's lost all hope. She's in a garden where the man who called her to be her follower, his follower, the man who healed her, cast demons out of her, she believed he was the savior of the world and he's dead. 
And now she's come to prepare the body in a final act of love. And that body's gone. Jesus doesn't show up in the middle of this place with a, a miracle. He shows up with a name. He shows up so that Mary can know she's known. He shows up so that Mary can know she belongs. He shows up because Mary can know she's loved. He doesn't tell her to stop grieving. He doesn't tell her to stop expressing her grief and her loss. But it's in that moment that Mary's fear melts away. When our lives hurt, when the unimaginable things happen, Jesus is there providing a place of comfort, providing a place of belonging where it's safe to grieve and meeting us in the depths of our grief. So often we're told, you know, if life's hard, God must not be there. God's not working. God doesn't love you. God didn't do these things. It's just an outright lie. He's right there in our midst in our presence. And if you ever forget that, go back to John 19 where Jesus hung on a cross to show you and show me how much he loves us, how much he wanted to be in a relationship with us. Encounters with Jesus bring hope and healing to broken lives. Now, I'm not dumb. I know some of you are sitting here thinking, cute sermon. Made me laugh, made me think. I'm still in the midst of pain. God hasn't shown up in my life for 18 months, maybe two years, maybe a decade. My relationship with my spouse or my family are still broken. I'm not sure how I feel about all this stuff about Jesus showing up he sure doesn't seem to have shown up for me. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Life's hard. It just is. Life on this earth is hard. It's unfair. It throws us curveballs. What I want you to know, when life's there, no matter if you feel it or not, you are not alone. God is right there with you. And church, maybe it's our responsibility to go be God with skin on, show up in someone's life to help bring them hope so they can know that they're not alone. Because it's one thing to feel like God is there, but it's a whole different thing with somebody with flesh and skin on who can put their arms around you and hug you is there. God is faithful, even when it comes to sermon illustrations. So Thursday night, we got to town. Thursday night, we went to our hotel room. I don't know why, but I was hungry. I've done nothing but eat this whole weekend. I was hungry. So we went to the hotel bar and got a pizza. 
We walked in, this guy sitting at the bar, and he's drinking a beer. What are you in town for? Well, going to interview and maybe be the pastor of a church here in town. You're a pastor? Yeah, I know, I don't look like it, but I am. He says, you have much experience with military guys? A little bit. Just going to talk to you about something? Sure. So he slides down the bar. He says, when I was 18, I enlisted to go in the military. That was May 2001. So I was just starting my senior year of high school. Two, fl- two planes flew into the Twin Towers. And I knew I was going to war. said, I did things in Afghanistan I'm not proud of. I took life. I made promises now that feel like they're not really real. I feel like I lied to a lot of good people. Where's God in the midst of all that? It was a heavy conversation when I just wanted pizza. I sat there and I listened to him. I don't know this guy. I don't know if I'll ever see that guy again. I listened to him talk. He just kept pouring out his heart. Where are you going to show up? Where's God calling you? In the midst of your everyday, ordinary life, as you go about your business in the most unexpected ways and unexpected places, show up in the life of the people around you who are hurting. Church, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility. If you've met Jesus, if you've had an encounter with Jesus, you have a responsibility to live lives of abundant gratitude, abundant joy, abundant generosity, abundant thankfulness, and to love our neighbor beyond what they deserve because we've been loved beyond what we deserve. We have a responsibility, church, to share our stories because encounter plus belief equals life to live with a story to tell. Who needs to hear your story of how Jesus changed your life? We have a responsibility to show up in the midst of people's pain, no matter how uncomfortable it is for us, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us feel. Jesus showed up in the midst of ours. Or Jesus sent someone else to show up in the midst of ours. Whose will we show up in the midst of? And we get to share a story of hope. A story of a God who changed our situation. Story of a God who is coming back. How do I know that? Because Jesus told all everybody around him, I'm going to die and rise again in three days. He's the only guy who's ever lived who promised that and then did it. So we have hope that he's coming back again. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know what that'll look like, but he's coming back again, and that gives us hope that there's more to this life. And we get a chance to share that. 
So church, Jesus shows up in people's lives. And he calls you and me to do the same. Whose life will you show up in this week and bring a message of hope? Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful. Thankful for who you are. Thankful that you loved us enough to show up. You loved us enough to be our God, to be a God who died on the cross for us. We didn't deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it. And God, you came because you love your kids. Thank you. God, now give us courage. Give us faith. Give us strength to show up in everybody else's life. And then, God, as we show up in our schools, as we show up on our playgrounds, as we show up on our sports teams, as we show up in our offices, as we show up in our neighborhoods, as we show up in restaurants and grocery stores and places all around, give us wisdom to know when to speak, when to listen. Give us wisdom to know what to say and give us courage to say it. We pray all this by the power of your son's name and through the Holy Spirit. Amen.